Hey everyone, welcome into the Fantasy Bros Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Sylvester, and you can follow me on Twitter at BobbyFantasyPro. We've got a great guest today. It's Derek Cardi, fantasy MLB and NFL analyst at ESPN Fantasy and at Roto Grinders. He's also the creator of the projection systems, the Bat and the Blitz. And Derek, I don't know if you've ever been wrong because every single time something crazy happens, I'm like, wait a second, Derek called that? How did you do it, man? <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate you saying so. I, uh, I have definitely been wrong before, and Twitter likes to make it a point to point out when I'm wrong, so there is actual evidence of it. But uh, you know, you try to be you try to be right more than you're wrong, and I think I I, I don't know. I hope I do a pretty good job of that. That's right. Yeah, you do do a very good job of it. You guys can give Derek a follow on Twitter at Derek Cardi. And what we're going to be doing today is he's going to be talking about his most undervalued players. In fact, he's going to give us a whole team. I'm going to give you a whole team of my most overvalued players. All right, guys, before we get going, I want to tell you about the Draft Assistant. So you can sync Draft Wizard with your league's online draft, and it's going to provide pick suggestions for you in real time. Or you can use the manual Draft Assistant if you're doing like an offline draft, and you can just plug it in, and it's going to give you all the expert suggestions. So it's like you have a team of experts in your war room with you as you're drafting. We also have the Pick Predictor feature, which is going to show you the odds of every player getting picked before your next pick. It is super useful. We've also got custom cheat sheet integration on the Draft Assistant, and it's super simple with an easy-to-use interface. It's the same interface as the one we use on Draft Simulator. You can check it out at fantasypros.com slash draftwizard. Again, that's fantasypros.com slash draftwizard for the Draft Assistant. So let's just dive right into it, Derek. Who do you have at the catcher position for most undervalued this year in fantasy baseball? So this was kind of tough because, like, I didn't know how deep to go. Like, I think there's a lot of deep catchers that are really good values, but a guy who's, you know, viable in any kind of league that you're playing in is Salvador Perez. Salvador Perez is uh, a guy that the bat actually has as its uh, second or third, you know, favorite catcher, which is just like an insane number. Like his ADP is like, I think, closer to 10. Um, I think he's just a, a guy that people have kind of forgotten about. Like he didn't play last year, obviously, because of the injury. And I think that's kind of people are either scared of the injury or they just don't remember how good he was prior to the injury. But this guy was one of the best catchers in the game. Like in, in 2018, the last year he played, he had 27 home runs. Last year with the juiced ball, only I think three or four catchers reached that number. And Salvi hasn't, didn't play with the juiced ball. So I think people who are not making that juiced ball adjustment, they're going to be under projecting Perez. And I mean, this was a guy too that when, when you talk about like an everyday player for catchers that really doesn't exist, he was about as close to an everyday player as you could get. Like he played almost every day for almost a whole decade. Yeah. Yeah. And so we don't know exactly how they're going to treat him this year, but with, you know, the potential for an abbreviated season, maybe they, they decide they can ride him a little bit harder. He gets some extra time to rest before the year, you know, not as many games to get through a whole season. I don't know. I just think talent-wise, I think potentially volume-wise, I think Perez is a, is a really strong value. You know what? Pretty much every analyst who has come on and talked about a catcher that they like says one of two names. Wilson Ramos or Salvador Perez. Those are my two targets this year as well. Salvador Perez is the guy I've been getting the most. Uh, and his batting average wasn't great in 2018, so a lot of people are looking at that 235 and saying, oh, well, he's been injured and now he comes back. How low is his batting average going to be? Can you talk about how projections aren't exactly linear. You know, we're looking at a guy who batted 268, 235, and people think, oh, he's trending down. Maybe it's going to be 220, but it's more likely going to be 250, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's exactly it. Like people who try to project trends like that, well, it's, it went down once, then it went down again. So it's going to have to go down again. It doesn't work that way. Much more likely it's going to be between the two numbers because that's how regression to the mean works. You know, the, the year he put up, you know, the 235 batting average, he had a 245 Babbitt, which was easily the worst of his career, which is a very uh, noise-riddled stat. Like, it's going to come up. He's not going to hit 235. He's going to hit probably between 250 and 260. We're talking about someone who consistently hits 25 homers, 75 RBIs, solid batting average as well. And for the catcher position, the replacement level value for batting average is much lower than it is at other positions. So even if he bats 250... That's higher than average. Uh, this is a very good value. His ADP is 160 right now. I'd be thrilled to get him in the 12th round just to make sure that I'm not missing out on that last tier of catchers that I'd feel comfortable with. 
Ramos, and Perez. After that, it's ugly. Who, who do you have at number eight? Are you with everyone else on Will Smith, or are you kind of soured on him as well? I think Will Smith is fine. Like He's not a guy that I've had any exposure to in, in drafts this year. It's not like I've done a ton of them, but you know, he, you know, according to the bat, according to just like, it just looks like he's kind of a more of an even valued guy. And, and I don't really draft even value guys. I like guys that are, that are bargains that I'm getting a discount on. And Smith, you're not really getting a discount on. Maybe he comes at a slight premium even. He's my most overvalued this season. His ADP right now, 156 ahead of Salvador Perez, ahead of Wilson Ramos. And I get it. He was very good in what was it? 170 at bats. How many times have we said this about a rookie who really struggled in the minor leagues? I'm not saying he was, I mean, I guess he didn't really struggle. He wasn't horrible, but he was nowhere close to this good in the minor leagues. I don't think he'll be able to continue it for a full season. And granted, a lot of times catchers take a little longer to develop with the bat, but this is not someone who's going to hit 30 home runs. It's not someone who's even going to bat 250. We project him at 233 with 21 home runs, and that's solid. But as far as I'm concerned, it's not in that second tier of catchers with Mitch Garver, Salvador Perez, Wilson Ramos. You're really taking a risk here that this guy is even fantasy relevant. I'd much rather just go with someone who's super consistent and maybe boring, Yadier Molina, uh, maybe some other upside guys, Tom Murphy, Sean Murphy. Yep, I'm, I'm completely with you. Weren't some people saying the same thing about Austin Barnes a couple of years ago? You know, 2017, he comes up, is really good over like, you know, a couple hundred at-bats, and everyone's like, oh, Austin Barnes. And, and he regressed. Like, he's been, you know, a well below average hitter the following two years. Like, I don't think, you know, Smith is bad by any means, but I'm not paying for the 196 plate appearances that he got last year. That just seems silly. You know, I totally forgot all about Austin Barnes and how excited everyone was. And yes, he was one guy that I was off. Um, but, you know, the reason we forgot about him is because he hasn't really done anything. I mean, Will Smith, I'm looking at him in the minor leagues, okay? Back in 2018, he batted 233 in AA and AAA with 20 home runs. 231 the year before, 11 home runs. It's just kind of who he is, guys. I'm sorry. I'm with you. I'm with you. He's, <laughs> he's not a guy I'm getting exposure to. I'm, I'd much rather have, like you said, Tom Murphy. You know, guys like that, I, I, I think are just better, better values. I'm glad to hear you say that name because Tom Murphy, if I'm waiting on catcher, that's the one I'm getting. Let's move on to first base, though. Who is your undervalued player? So when I was making my list... It's kind of tough because guys that were like super undervalued back in February and March, the reasons they were undervalued might not exist anymore because we don't know what this season is going to look like. So the guy that, that the bat like loved that I think is a really strong value is Eric Thames. Um, now that's more of a deeper play. Like you're not drafting him in, you know, an eight team or a 10 team league, probably at least not as a starter, but Part of this is park factors, and he's going from a park that people consider to be a really, really strong hitter's park in Miller Park, and he's going to a park that people kind of consider to be like an average park in, in Nationals Park, and it's actually the exact opposite. Miller Park's great for, for power, yes, but it's like an average park overall. Nationals Park isn't quite as good for power, but it's like a top five park overall for hitting, and so... Lots of doubles, better batting average, yeah. Yeah, it's a sneaky good upgrade in terms of Parks for Thames. Um, and he's a guy whose talent, I think, you know, is good to begin with. You know, he might be in a little bit of a platoon. You're not going to get 600 plate appearances out of him. But at his ADP, you don't have to. He's going to give you power. I think the batting average is going to be a little bit better. Um, he's going to be in a good surrounding lineup. And so I think he's really good, assuming the Washington Nationals actually play in Washington this year, which, you know, again, we, we don't know what's going to happen with that sort of thing. But even if they don't, I still think at his ADP, like, you know, there's plenty of value just baked in talent-wise because, you know, he's one of these guys who was really, you know, hyped his first year when he was crushing it, and now he's become more of an afterthought, a little bit boring, and those types of guys tend to go under the radar, and I think he's, he's kind of fitting into that category now. His first year, he hit 31 homers and 469 at-bats, batted 247. Last year, he batted 248 with 25 homers and 396 at-bats. Same exact pace, no difference whatsoever. He just played a lot less. Um, now, he's one of these guys. You talked about him. He's a platoon guy. Uh, probably not going to play as much against lefties. I know you're a big DFS guy like me, Derek. When you see Eric Thames against a, a right-handed hitter, same with Jock Peterson and Mitch Moreland. I'm loading them up almost every time, man. 
Yeah, I mean, especially this year with with you know the the park and, and everything else, like. I would imagine he's a guy that I will be playing quite a bit whenever we finally get some DFS going. Yeah, I can't wait for it, man. I'm so excited. I mean, I guess I can wait for it if we have to wait for it, but I don't really want to. You know, I don't want to speculate because I don't want to pretend that I know anything more than anybody else about what's going to happen, what's going on. Um, But there are some rumors leaking that MLB is planning to play all of their games at the Arizona Spring Training facilities. They're all right around that, you know, hour drive of one another in the Phoenix area. It would be a lot warmer. Uh, apparently, the disease is rumored to uh, not do as well in warmer weather. Now, it would be super hot. We're talking like 100 to 120 degrees. Of course, they'd be playing at night, so not as much. But how would this... Have you looked into the spring training ballpark factors whatsoever, just in case this is what they end up going with? Uh, I've started my very preliminary research into that because it does seem like that is a possibility. And uh, I mean, there's going to be huge error bars on this, but we will have some data. It looks like we have fence distances for most of these parks. Some of these parks are part of, you know, some of the, you know, like the rookie ball leagues, the Arizona League or the Arizona Fall League or, or stuff like that. So we have some data from these parks. We can look at park factors from there, um, which don't necessarily like translate super, super well to like this new kind of context. But, you know, we're going to you know have to make our best guesses. And we have no idea where every team would play. Like would the Nationals play in the same home ballpark every time or would it just be wherever they can fit in? I, I mean, we, we have no idea. Right. It's so impossible to project. Yeah, and they're all going to be playing basically with the same weather, you know, because they're going to be playing five minutes apart, um, which is going to kind of diminish the edge as well, because, you know, that's just one less thing that that we get an edge on projecting that other people are doing a bad job at. Yeah, here's my uh, overvalued first baseman. And it's so weird because this guy has been undervalued for so many years. But Carlos Santana, he went from batting 231, 231, 260, 259, 229, 281. Um, his power did jump as well last year, but this is a guy who's a lot older. I do not expect him to keep up anywhere close to the same trend. Now, of course, he's going to score runs. He always scores runs because his on-base percentage is high, but he's being drafted right now, ADP 112. Uh, that's just a little bit too high for me. I mean, Danny Santana was significantly better last year, and he's being drafted two rounds later. How do you feel about the difference between Danny Santana and Carlos Santana, Derek, on the bat? Yeah, so Carlos Santana is a guy that I... I've never really been big on, like I never quite get the appeal that, that some other people do, which is a little bit weird because you'd kind of think that he falls into like the boring old veteran category. And he's a guy that I would like because those kind of guys I'm usually high on, but for whatever reason, he's just kind of not there for me. You know, like his batting average really isn't very good. Um, You know, a lot of his, his real world value is tied up in walks, which really don't help us in fantasy he's just not a guy that I've ever really been super high on. Yeah, he's durable. He's consistent in the runs and RBIs category. But if you want someone who's going to bat 245 with 25 homers, you can get that at pick 400. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm not really a Carlos Santana guy. Okay, so let's go to the second base position. Uh, who are you fond of? Who's your uh, undervalued second baseman this year? I'm going to kind of stay on the same theme here for a second. I'm going to go with Starlin Castro for a lot of the same reasons that I think Eric Thames is a really good value, and that's because he's getting a massive park upgrade into a really good lineup. You know, he's a guy who obviously is older, is boring, is not, you know, going to stand out in any one category, but he's going from what was the best pitcher's park in baseball in Marlins Park to a top five hitters park in, in Washington. And so for a guy that is, if not, you know, like I said, stand out in any one category, he will give you some power. He will give you some batting average. The counting stats should hopefully come, you know, in that lineup. I think Starlin Castro is a, is a really strong value this year. And, and he's older and boring and people are going to overlook him in, in lieu of, you know, Garrett Hampson or whatever the, you know, the hot young middle infielder is. For just a moment, I thought that you were saying your most overvalued player and you were saying Starlin Castro you should have seen my face because I'm everyone who listens to the podcast knows what I'm saying because I'm drafting Starlin Castro everywhere he's like one of the main guys that I'm recommending because the second base position there are a lot of good players but this is by far the best value in my mind and we're talking about a top 12 fantasy second baseman last year in Miami the worst ballpark for right-handed hitters and now he moves to Washington 
into that lineup? Are you kidding me? He's super durable. Uh, he's consistent in terms of batting average. He's consistent in terms of power. His power went up a little bit last year as well. Now, he's not going to steal any bases, but this is definitely someone I would take well above his 232 ADP. That's the 20th round. I'd take him in the 13th, 14th round if I had to. Now, I don't have to, but uh, I'll be glad to get him in the 17th or 18th. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably, like you said, you know, early teens, mid-teens, that, that's where he belongs, and you can get him a lot later than that. So you mentioned my overvalued player. It seems like we're right in sync here. And I, I'm also a slave to the projection systems, right? I mean, I, I agree with the metric. All the data uh, has been a lot more reliable than just, you know, ADP or what have you. Um, Garrett Hampson, is he even going to play 350 at-bats? His ADP is 40 spots higher than Starling Castro. And Garrett Hampson, it's not like he was very good last year when he actually played. He batted 244 with eight homers and 15 steals. No, I mean, last year I thought he was one of the most overvalued players in drafts. People got burned by him and they're going right back to him. Like, I kind of, I don't get it. Like, yeah, he plays in cores. Yeah, if he plays every day, he's going to give you a, a lot of speed. And maybe, you know, he turns into a decent hitter. But I think there's just way too much uncertainty with the playing time to, you know, to really truly like this guy you're really taking a shot on on upside Daniel Murphy getting injured Ryan McMahon falling off the wagon you know you've got uh Brendan Rodgers coming up as well maybe he doesn't get called up I think Garrett Hampson's like 20 percent chance of playing more than he did last year I'm kind of with you like I, I think he's one of the most overdrafted players again this year all right, let's move on to the third base position. I've got somebody here that people are not going to like, but why don't you go ahead and go first? Um, who is your undervalued player? So this is a guy that I actually own in both Labor and Tout Wars. Uh, it's Eugenio Suarez. Now, part of this, part of me thinking he was undervalued was, you know, earlier in the, the offseason, I guess we'll call it, um, you know, there were concerns about his health and people were like, well, is he going to start the year healthy? Is he going to miss all of April? Like what's going on with him? And I think that definitely depressed his value for a little while. That's less of a concern for people now. Like I would imagine his ADP has come up a little bit because with the delayed start to the season, there's no health concerns with him. But this is the kind of guy that is going to benefit, I think the most from, you know, whatever is going on right now with the delayed start to the season, because, you know, those health concerns just go away and you can focus solely on the talent level. I still think people are underrating his talent level. You know, he's he's a guy who hit close to 50 home runs last year. Like, that's not going to happen again. There's going to be some regression. But he's been really good for three seasons in a row now. This looks completely legitimate to me. Like, I think he is a very, very good hitter. And depending on what kind of season we get, there's some really good context with him. And again, this is the kind of stuff that I like to gain my edges on that we might not actually be able to gain them on this year. So this all kind of comes with a big old asterisk, but he plays in great American ballpark, which is a great hitters park to begin with, especially for power. And in interleague play this year, the Reds are supposed to be playing the American League East. So he'll be in Yankee Stadium, Fenway Park, Camden Yards, Rogers Center. So his schedule, you know, sets up really well for him, assuming we play any anything resembling that schedule. Um, even if we don't, though, I think the talent is there and the health concerns are, are not going to be a thing where I still think he's going to be a good value and a guy that I'm happy to own, um, especially in the earlier rounds, because in the earlier rounds, there's not a lot of guys that you're getting like big, big values on. I think it's a pretty significant value for Suarez, um, especially if we do get some of that schedule kind of mixed in there. This is another name that keeps popping up with all the analysts who come on the show saying Suarez is one of the guys to draft at third base. Uh, I'm with you. I think it's a very good call. Uh, now, mine, I actually had to narrow it down. I had to decide between two guys, Chris Bryant, and I went with Tommy Edmond. Now, this is coming from a St. Louis Cardinals fan. I want Edmond to succeed. I don't think there's playing time for him, though. I don't think that he's going to play over Dexter Fowler because of that massive contract. I don't think he's going to play over Matt Carpenter because of the massive contract. I think they're going to give him another chance. I think Tommy Edmond's a solid player. I think what we saw last year was the typical Cardinals devil magic where he comes up and he's really good and then he fades a little bit. This is not somebody who was ever an excellent prospect. Yeah, he won 11 homers, 15 steals in 92 games with a 304 batting average. He's probably going to bat closer to 270 this year. And yeah, he's going to have some homers and some speed. It's not someone you draft to ADP 138, though. I, I'm with you. and Yes. Oh, man, I was nervous about this one. I thought that you were going to love Tommy Edmond. No, I don't. I'm with you on Tommy Edmond. And I actually have, you know, we'll get to it when we're in the outfield. But it seems like that's where he's kind of competing for, for a lot of his playing time is in the outfield. 
And I think a lot of the other Cardinals outfielders are very interesting. Edmund, not as much, though. Like you said, like his minor league track record really isn't anything special. Um, the playing time is very much uh, up in the air. Like a lot of people, I think, are just kind of writing Dexter Fowler off entirely. But Dexter Fowler is going to begin the year as a starting outfielder. And if it's a shortened season, he's going to have a lot less time to lose that job and, and give playing time to Tommy Edmonds. So, you know, he's a speed guy in a, in a league where speed is rapidly kind of disappearing. And so I think people are probably, you know, bidding him up a little bit because, you know, they're just like, okay, I need some speed at this point in the draft. But for me, I'm not going to overpay for Tommy Edmonds. Yeah, and Tyler O'Neill was raking. Dylan Carlson was hidden as well as anybody in spring training. And then you got Harrison Bader, who's one of the best defensive outfielders in baseball, great base runner, gets on base as well. And he looks like Derek Cardi, which is a major plus. I mean, who wouldn't want to look like Derek Cardi? <laughs> All right, so I went with my third baseman. Let's move on over to shortstop. And I know we're only doing one in a position. I have to do two here because my two most overvalued players are both at shortstop. Who do you have as undervalued though, Derek? Um, I've given kind of some deeper guys, you know, Eric Thames, Starling Castro. So I'm trying to mix in some guys who are in the earlier rounds. It's not like you're going to get this guy five rounds ahead of where he belongs, but I think you're going to get a little bit of value on Paul DeYoung. Paul DeYoung, for whatever reason, has kind of fallen into the old boring player category despite only being 26 years old. Like, I don't get why people are, are kind of off him because all he's done is been, is been good. He's going to give you power. He's not going to give you a ton of average, but he'll give you a little speed. He'll give you some good counting stats. Um, and he's going to play a scarce, you know, a, a quote-unquote scarce position of, of shortstop where you're not going to get a lot of guys with his kind of power. And so I think he's, you know, talented. I think he's good. If, again, if we get the right schedule... The, the NL Central is playing the AL East in interleague play, which will help with his, um, you know, kind of strength of schedule factors. Um, I like Paul DeYoung quite a bit as, as one of the better values that you're going to find in, you know, those early-ish rounds. So before I say this about Paul DeYoung, I just want to say he was one of the most unlucky hitters in batting average last year. He batted 232. It's likely going to be closer to that 255, 260 mark next season. Now, this is a guy who hit 30 home runs, nine stolen bases, 97 runs scored. If you look at him in terms of the five major fantasy stats, runs, home runs, RBI, stolen bases, average against, uh, and you just put in his, his Z score, he was in the number 12 shortstop in fantasy baseball last year, right behind Javier Baez, right ahead of Manny Machado and, and Mondesi. I mean, the guy was really good last year, and I think his batting average comes up as well. I agree. I think this is one of the best values. Now, I don't have as many shares because I'm getting all the Marcus Simeon shares, um, but I, I like Paul DeYoung quite a bit. This is another good call that I agree with. I, I think Simeon is totally fine, too. I like DeYoung. You know, in the later rounds, I think Dansby Swanson is a really good value as kind of a post-type guy. All right, so at shortstop, I'm going with two names. As I said, my most overvalued player at any position is Fernando Tatis. Everything going against him, right? His BABIP was 417. His home run to fly ball ratio was extremely unsustainable as well. He actually didn't consistently hit the ball all that hard. He's going to have power. He's going to have speed. He's also coming off an injury. Now, with the season being pushed back, obviously that probably won't hurt quite as much. And then the other one, Bo Bichette, very similar stuff. He batted 311 last year. That's not here to stick. His power was a little bit extravagant, 11 homers and 196 at-bats. That's not really who he's been in the minor leagues. It was just a power surge in the majors for whatever reason. Yeah, he has some power. He has some speed, but not somebody I'm drafting at ADP 70. Where are you drafting Fernando Tatis and Bo Bichette, or do you not have any shares? Uh, I'm, I'm not drafting Fernando Tatis. <laughs> I, I obviously took a very strong stance against him uh, last year. I caught a lot of flack for it. That's right. Yes, because you were in the thread where I was just getting blasted for it, man. Yeah. Every time he hit a homer, these Padres fans, they would come after us. They were merciless. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm on the same kind of train again. Like, yeah, he's better than we thought he was coming into last year, of course. But... He was also probably one of the luckiest hitters in baseball last year. Like you look at his stat cast stuff and his X stats and, and he like, he should have performed considerably worse. Like there's no chance a 410 BABIP is just, it's, it's just not sustainable. He can be a higher than average BABIP guy cause he's fast, but yeah, he, he should be higher than average. Like the bat projects, I think close to a 350 BABIP, which is one of the highest of any hitter in baseball. And it still thinks he is overvalued this year because like people are just 
buying what he did last year and buying the hype and buying the upside and you know, if people are taking him in the first round or even the second round, like I want no part of that. Man, it's just crazy, right? I mean, we're talking about someone who's probably going to bet 265, 270 with sure 25 homers, 25 stolen bases. That's Tommy Pham, guys. Tommy Pham's going in the seventh round. Fernando Tatis is going in the second. Are you kidding me? I'm taking JD Martinez over him all day long. Every time. Yeah. Yeah. You're a big JD Martinez guy too, aren't you? Oh, I, I love JD Martinez. Would you take him at the turn? Because I totally would. Oh, absolutely. As soon as Nolan Arenado comes off the board, I'm taking J.D. Martinez. Yeah, yeah. Especially if some of those pitchers are, you know, those top three or four pitchers are are also gone. Right. I'd be all over J.D. Would you put Justin Verlander in that category now that he's, you know, probably going to be healthy? Uh, I think I would. Okay. I'm a little bit nervous, but I think I still would. I had him as my number one before the injury, and now I've pushed him back to, uh, to number three. Yeah, I think that's about where I'd be on him. All right, before we get to the next one, I want to tell you we've got a contest giveaway going on right now. We're giving away a signed Fernando Tatis Jr. bat, and you can check out the details at fantasypros.com slash MLB contest. It's going to take like 30 seconds to enter. All you have to do, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and just leave an honest review. Then take a screenshot of that review and send it to us at contest at fantasypros.com. Again, you can check out the details at fantasypros.com slash MLB contest. All right, so let's move on to the outfield position. Why don't you give us your first one, Derek? Well, the first one, I guess, is an easy one to go into. Um, It's kind of like a 1A, 1B situation, but like Dexter Fowler and Tyler O'Neill, I think are both really great values here. We kind of talked about it with with DeYoung a little bit and and kind of in the Tommy Edmond conversation. But, you know, this is a a Cardinals outfield that used to be super crowded and is not nearly as crowded as, as it used to be because Marcelo Zuna is gone. Jose Martinez is gone. And so really, it's kind of four guys playing for three spots with Edmund seeming like the fourth guy. So I'll take, you know, the the number two and number three guy or whatever. I'll take Dexter Fowler. I'll take Tyler O'Neill. Fowler's kind of the old, boring veteran that people are writing off. Tyler O'Neill is young and talented and has power and, and people are still writing off. So I kind of don't get that at all. You know, for, for O'Neill, you're getting both value and upside at his ADP. He just seems like one of the best outfitters you can possibly draft this year. Interesting. Yeah, I I like the Tyler O'Neill call. I haven't heard anyone talk about Dexter Fowler this year. And frankly, this is the first one where we disagree a little bit, just because I think at some point Dylan Carlson has to steal his job. Uh, Maybe that's just hopeful thinking. But um, I mean, I could definitely see Dexter Fowler being a useful fantasy asset. And he's not being drafted in a lot of leagues. So uh, it's an interesting call for sure. All right, my first overvalued outfielder is the same guy that I was saying last year, please don't draft Andrew Benintendi, and uh, I I just don't really get it. Now his ADP's dropped from like 35 to 104, but this is still the same guy. It's been the same guy since he came up. He's a very good real-life player. He's very good at getting on base. Plays good defense. He's got a lot of a, a lot of raw tools, but he just hasn't quite put it together yet. Is he ever going to? I don't know. Last year he had 13 homers with 10 steals, batted 266. What's the difference between him and Byron Buxton? Byron Buxton was the top overall prospect. Andrew Benintendi was a top 10 prospect. They both have a lot of upside. Neither of them has ever done it, and Buxton's going 100 picks later. I don't get it, Derek. I'm kind of with you. I mean, I've never been a huge Buxton guy, but I do think there's, I mean, crazy as as it is to say, I think there's more value on Buxton than there is on Benintendi. Like, I think he's he's fine, um, but he's definitely not a guy I'm going out of my way to get. And he's the kind of guy that that could potentially be really hurt um, if we do wind up playing games in in Arizona instead instead of ballparks. Because yeah, like I talked about some guys like Thames and Castro that are getting like park upgrades. But it's one thing to not get a park upgrade um, and, you know, you're just kind of buying on, on the skills and, and whatever. And it's another thing for a guy who's been playing in great context his entire career to lose that context and to have to expect some pretty significant, you know, decline in, in what he's going to put up. And so, uh, you know, I'm just not a uh, probably not on Benintendi. OK, let's go with uh, your second most undervalued outfielder. Who do you have? It's so hard to, to navigate this situation right now because... Like David Dahl, I think, is one of the absolute best values in the outfield. But so much of that is almost exactly what I just said with Benintendi. Like he plays in Coors Field. If he doesn't get to play in Coors Field, well, now we're having a whole different discussion. Yeah, we're talking about like a 280 hitter with some power. That's it. Right. But if he gets to play in Coors Field, 
then I love David Dahl. Like he's a guy who I think people consider to be more injury prone than than he actually is. So I think there's a discount just in that. I was just going to mention the injury issues, man, because he's been hurt every year, even back into the minors. Right. But none of them, like they all seem to be kind of like, it's not like a recurring shoulder injury or anything like that. It's a bunch of random fluky stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a chronic injury, which, you know, if you believe research has been done by people like Jeff Zimmerman, who's very smart. And I do believe man, he's smart. Like the only injuries that are predictive are chronic injuries. And if David Dahl does not have a chronic injury, well, he's not injury prone. We shouldn't project him to get injured. And if he doesn't get injured, this is a guy who people were really excited about a couple years ago when he came up. And he's played, you know, three, three seasons in the majors now, or parts of three seasons in the majors. He has been excellent in all of them. Um, and part of that is course field, a big part of that is course field, obviously. But this is a guy who definitely has the skills, who possibly has the park, who will probably, I mean, he could be the leadoff hitter this year. We'll have some power. We'll have some speed. We'll have some batting average. Um, and he's going to play more than people expect him to. Like, I think he's, you know, again, with the big asterisk, one of the best value outfielders on the entire board. I like that call a lot. I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, I'm kind of scrambling to see who my next overvalued outfielder is going to be. And I'm going to go pretty deep because, I don't know, a lot of people are really excited about drafting Joe Adele. They think, okay, maybe he's the best prospect in baseball. Maybe it's Wander Franco. I've got Adele as my number three, but he's just not super polished. And I don't think he comes up until September this year. And yet people are drafting me at the end of their drafts. And it's going to be like Nick Senzel a few years back. I guess it was last year and the year before where we all drafted Senzel. ADP 233 for Joe Adele, right? So everyone's going to draft him and they're just going to wait and wait and wait. Maybe he gets called up next week. And then it doesn't happen until September. Same with Nick Senzel. When are you eventually going to cut him? It's He's not going to get called up anytime soon. And if he does get called up, I don't know if he's polished enough to produce right away. What does the bat think about Joe Adele? Is it fond of him right away? It's not. I mean, a lot of times these these prospects, especially the ones that are that are more, more tools than production, they, they don't tend to project very well because, you know, projection systems go off the numbers. And Adele's numbers really haven't been anything fantastic. Like he strikes out a ton in the minors, doesn't take a lot of walks. You know, his BABIPs have been very high and it's hard to, you know, project a guy who's hitting, you know, 360, 370, 380 BABIPs in the minors to do that again in the majors. And so, you know. But his batting practice, Derek, his batting practice is phenomenal. (laughs) I'm being sarcastic, man. (laughs) I know you are. I know you are. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that's kind of the thing. Sure, there's upside, um, but you look at what he did in the minors, you look at historically what prospects like this do when they come to the majors, and while people will always point to the exceptions like Acuna and, and Tatis, you know, the vast majority of these guys wind up just kind of being okay their first, you know, taste of the majors. And that's not to say anything bad about Adele's long-term, you know, upside or anything like that, but when you combine kind of a, a pretty middling, you know, rate production with, like you said, maybe not even seeing the majors till September, I don't really get the appeal. All right, let's move on to your third undervalued outfielder. Then we'll touch on some pitchers after I get my last one as well. So I, I picked a, a couple of deeper guys. One guy that I like a little bit earlier is Joey Gallo. Um, he's a guy who I was just, me and the bat were massively huge on coming into last year. And he started the year off making us look really, really good. He was on pace. Before the injury, I think for like, I don't know, close to 60 home runs. His batting average jumped 50 spots too. Yeah, and his batting average came up. um, Probably not going to be a 250 batting average hitter, but 230, I think, seems pretty reasonable. Um, And he has the best power of anybody in, in baseball. His power is just massive. He'll steal the occasional base. I'm still taking Stanton's power. I'll fight you on this one. I'm taking Stanton's power over Gallo's. I, I won't fight you too hard. Okay. <laughs> They're both so awesome. Yeah. They really are. Um, but I mean, his power is just amazing. You know, the the park this year, you know, assuming they play in Arlington, probably not going to be as favorable as it was last year with a, with a dome, with a closed roof, especially they're not even going to get open roofs in, in April and May, obviously. So, uh, you know, the park is not as good. But, you know, that could wind up being a wash anyway if everybody's just playing in the Arizona heat. And then his raw power, I think, really shines. Yeah, I think Joey Gallo's a great call. I mean, if we knew he was healthy, we'd be drafting in the top 50 again. I, I don't see any reason why he's not healthy. So why would we Especially not? Especially with the extra time before the game start. And his ADP is 71. That's just way too low. Now, I do like Stanton more than him, and Stanton's going after him. So I don't have many shares of Joey Gallo, but I think it's a really good call. Um, my outfielder that I'm going to go with 
is uh, this is probably going to make you upset even because I haven't talked to anybody who agrees with me that Ramon Laureano is just being drafted too dang high. What do you think? Oh, I, I totally agree. Oh, <laughs> yes, finally I found someone. All right. See, I don't see any difference between him and Danny Santana. Danny Santana is going 45 picks later. Santana was better last year. They both came out of nowhere. Do we really expect Ramon Laureano to keep up this pace? Well, and, and if you do, why don't you expect Danny Santana to keep up his top 10 fantasy outfield pace? Right. Yeah. He, he's a guy that I'm, I'm just, I, I thought I was kind of the low man on Loriano. I try to keep it hush hush because everybody tries to, <laughs> you know, hype this guy up and I don't want to be the, the guy who's like, yeah, man, Loriano's not that good. But, uh, I don't know. I, I just, I'm not buying him at, at last year's numbers or, or close to last year's numbers, which it seems like that's kind of what you have to do if you want to own him. Um, you know, I get that, that his stack cast numbers are good and whatnot. And people, I think, like him a lot for that reason. You know, he's going to give you some contribution, I think, in, in all five categories. And I think that is something that people maybe overvalue a little bit. Um, I think he's fine. Like, I think he's okay. But I think he's being drafted a little too high. Everyone wants these two guys who are great and not great, solid in five categories. You know what? You give me Joey Gallo and somebody who's great later on in batting average. And I'll take those two guys combined over your two five-tool light players. You know what I mean? Yep. That is much, much rather the way I would build a a roster. Like, I much prefer to do it that way. All right. Let's go starting pitcher now. Who is your most undervalued starting pitcher? Who do you want to start us with, at least? I'm going to start with Lance McCullers because Lance McCullers is my guy. Like, even before all this, you know, delayed season stuff started, I thought McCullers was the most underdrafted pitcher in in baseball me too we talk about lance mccullers every year you and i and i'm all on board his stuff is disgusting he has the best curveball in baseball and people forget that i think because he you know he didn't pitch last year the tommy john surgery but his curveball is the best curveball in baseball i don't care who else you want to say you know what about aaron nola or what about blake snell or like no you're wrong it's lance mccullers (laughs) it's the only right answer um and that that's you know both from i think a scouting standpoint and and kind of quantifying stuff. You know, I've been working a lot on a system to quantify stuff. And you look at what happens with McCullers curveball, and it's so good. It is one of the fastest curveballs in baseball. Velocity is very important for curveballs. He tunnels it really well inside his fastball. It looks so much like a fastball until it's not. And the hitter just swings over the top of it or drives it into the ground because he throws it low in the zone. And he throws it about twice as often as, as any other pitcher throws their curveball too. And he, yeah, and he throws it like 50% of the time. I think some of the concerns that people really had with him was that he was going to be on you know the, pit, the innings limit, 120 innings, which now if we're going to get a compressed, compressed season, if we're not going to play 160 games... The, the best pitchers might only throw, you know, 160, 170, 180 innings. And so 120 from McCullers, you know, becomes a lot more valuable in a relative sense. So I, I liked him even before that was going to be a thing. Now that it's going to be a thing, like I want McCullers literally everywhere. Everyone listening to the podcast who's been listening for a while, when they heard you say Lance McCullers, they were doing fist pumps for me, knowing I was super pumped. Uh, Lance McCullers, I loved him before the innings limit. He's always been great. He's going to be great again. Maybe he gets hurt. Maybe he has an innings limit. I don't care. I'll take his innings while I get them. They're going to be awesome. Okay, I'm going to another Cardinal for overvalued here. Uh, it's Jack Flaherty, and it really bums me out to say this, but um, like Blake Snell last year, he had all these red flags, right? His BABIP was extremely low. Uh, the, the runner score that he left on base was extremely high. Uh, everything was unsustainable, and Jack Flaherty has all the same red flags, Jack Flaherty was incredible during the second half, but I don't expect any of this to keep up. Um, he's going to be good. I'm not saying he's not an ace. I'm just saying he's not a second-round quality level of ace. I'm, I'm taking Steven Strasburg. I'm taking uh, Clayton Kershaw over him. I'm taking Mike Clevenger over him now, too. Yeah, that that's kind of where I'm at with him. Like, I think he's a very good pitcher. I think he's probably a top 10 or 15 pitcher in baseball. If you're telling me if I want him, I have to take him in the second round, That that's where I'm going to hesitate, and I'm going to say, no, I, I don't want Flaherty there. Yep. All right. Let's go to your number two now. So, I mean, I guess you could pick either of them or, or any of them, but like A's pitchers I love, but in particular, uh, A.J. Puck. You know, Lazardo's the guy that people are, are higher on. He's going higher in drafts. He's getting more hype, and I love Lazardo. I think he's a great value too, but A.J. Puck as like a guy you can get at the end of your draft and is going to have legit ace potential— 
He has more upside than Luzardo. I mean, he throws mid to high 90s. You know, the injury that he was kind of dealing with in the, in the spring going to be less of a concern now. Obviously, he's coming off the injury last year. So there are, you know, there are risks associated here. But this is a guy who in the minors did nothing but dominate. He was putting up 13 and 14 strikeout per nine rates at every level. Decent control. You know, not even a super extreme fly ball guy. So he's not giving up a lot of home runs. And, uh, you know, again, asterisk, but the context he could be walking into is pretty darn fantastic. You know, he would be pitching in one of the best pitchers ballparks in baseball uh, in Oakland in a division with mostly pitchers ballparks with an interleague schedule with the uh, National League East with mostly pitchers ballparks. He's going to have top 10 offensive support, you know, top 10 defensive support, um, you know, semi plus pitch framing. I just think Puck is, is is fantastic, and really all the ace pitchers, Luzardo, uh, Montas, and... I don't like Sean Manaya. I actually kind of, I think is fine too, uh, but Chris Bassett's the other guy that, that I think is really good late, especially in deeper leagues. But, you know, especially if we get something resembling the original schedule, um, it just makes me like these guys all the more. Yeah, if AJ Puck makes the rotation, man, I'm going to be pretty pumped up about that. Um, he's a good pitcher. Now, I wouldn't take him over Luzardo, obviously. You you won't have any need to. Uh, Luzardo's going in the top 120 picks, and I like him there. Uh, Puck's going in the very last round, and I love him there. That's a great call. Is it wrong to talk about Carlos Carrasco as overvalued? Because, like, I get it. Everyone's rooting for him. You know, coming off uh, the, the health scare, he's also got another injury scare going on right now. And last year, he wasn't very good. Um, and I get it. It's because he was unhealthy probably, but I just don't think I want to bet in the 10th round on a guy like this bouncing back. I'd love to see him bounce back, uh, but he's going to be on someone else's team if he does. Interesting. So this is the first guy that I think we disagree on. I actually think Carlos Carrasco is a little undervalued. I, I mean, he's not like towards the top of my undervalued list, but he is a guy that I would consider drafting in the right situation. You know, yeah, his ERA was really high last year, but I do think you give him a little bit of a pass for the health. I think you look at the peripherals, and they were pretty much right in line with what he's always done. You know, a strikeout rate over 10. His walk rate was under 2, which was pretty great. And, uh, you know, with, with the delayed start to the season, I think the health is, you know, something we can discount a little bit more. You know, I do expect a little bit of a bounce back for Carrasco. Maybe he's not healthy. Maybe it's a moot point. But... Um, I do kind of like him. He was great. The three years prior, he was one of the top 10 pitchers in baseball. If he can get back to that, I'm going to be eating crow all over the place. I'm just I'm just hesitant here. And here's a couple guys I'd rather have than just to give you some idea. Mad Bum, David Price, Kenta Maeda. Mad Bum is not on your list somewhere as one of the most overvalued pitchers. Oh, man. Okay, bring it. Let's hear it. Let's hear it, baby. I love Mad Bum this year. Wow, that is so surprising. I, I think he's terrible. Oh, like, I think man. he's just a straight-up bad, like just one of the worst picks you can make in a draft this year. And and the bat is definitely one of the lowest projection systems on him. I'm open to being talked out of this, so, so I want to hear what you have to say here. So I think just in general, he's not as good as people think he is. I don't know exactly the reasons you like him, but it seems like a lot of the reasons people like Mad Bum is, is just based off his name value of being, you know, you know, one of the better pitchers in baseball for a long time. But his numbers since the injury, in the last three years since the injury, they just have not been as good. Like his strikeouts are way down while the league strikeouts are going up. And he always played with such fantastic context. Like he played in, you know, AT&T Park or Oracle Park, whatever you want to call it, in San Francisco, one of the best pitchers parks in baseball. He threw for years to Buster Posey when Buster Posey was one of the absolute best pitch framers in baseball. He's had good defenses behind him a lot of these years. Now he's leaving. Like, he's going to Arizona. It is a significant park downgrade for him. Arizona's a pitcher's park now, though, too, and you called that correctly when they made the move to the Humidor. Right. It's definitely a pitcher's park, but it's not like, you know, AT&T Park was always, you know, one of the top, you know, three pitcher's parks. Arizona's, you know, top 10, top 12, something like that. So it's still a downgrade for him. The numbers, I think, just haven't been as good. Um, And so, yeah, I'm just not a mad bum guy. He went from being a sub-3 ERA guy and a sub-1.05 whip guy, but still, since the injury over the last three years, 3.57 ERA, his whip, 1.15, that's not bad. Last year, 
yeah, he's not a strikeout guy, but he struck out 203 guys because he pitches 200 innings. Maybe the ratios go down a little bit, but there's something to be said for durability when you're getting your starting pitcher four in the 10th round. That's why I like Mad Bum, but I totally understand what you're saying. I can see the durability thing, but really like if he's going to give you an ERA of like four and a half, which is what the bat and steamer project. Oh, whoa, man. Yeah. You look at his XFIPs last, the last three years, like, yeah, his ERAs were good, but his peripherals weren't that good. His XFIPs, all his peripheral ERAs were all over four. And, and now with the shift in context, um, you know, the bat is 456 ERA, steamer's 451, zips is 435. Um, it's just, uh, I don't think you're getting much more than, you know, a little bit better than above average rate production. And and for that, why don't you just get like the first guy that popped in my head is Mike Leak. He's better than Mike Leak, but like just like a boring old guy like that. I don't see a whole Andrew Heaney. Yeah, and I'd much rather have Andrew Oh, man. Okay. Well, you know, this is really interesting, and you're scaring me a little bit. Maybe I'll just draft David Price and uh, Lance McCullers, Julio Arias, Carlos Martinez, and just get Madison Bumgarner. I can get behind all those other guys with Okay. Him. All right. All right. So let's move on to your uh, number three, and then we'll touch on a relief pitcher uh, before we end this podcast. Uh, so I think James Paxton is a really good pick. Like, I had interest in Paxton, kind of begrudging interest before the season was delayed because— there was injury risk. We didn't know when he was going to be coming back, all that kind of stuff. But when he's healthy, he's one of the top 10 or 15 pitchers in baseball. He's fantastic. He strikes guys out, has good control, um, going to get elite offensive support. Imagine if they're not playing in Yankee Stadium, by the way. Right. And now they might not be playing in Yankee Stadium, and he's going to have extra time to recover from the injury. Um, I'm all over James Pax. He's like, I feel weird about saying this, but he's a better version of Lance McCullers, and they're going in the same range. I love McCullers. I love Paxton even more. I love him about the same. Okay. <laughs> I like McCullers a little more for maybe for the price or for the the upside. You know, he, he doesn't have the same health. I, I feel like his health issues are a little bit less of a concern. Maybe. I don't know. I love them both. It, it's, it's splitting hairs for me. Give me them both all day. And they're going in the same range as my third. And this is actually my most overvalued pitcher. Don't draft Marcus Stroman going to the Mets in their horrible infield defense. We saw what it was last year. It was not pretty. And you're laughing. I'm wondering if you totally disagree or if you entirely agree. Well, I'd prepared five pitchers. Marcus Stroman was my fourth on my list. I'm sorry. All right, let's hear it. Talk me out of it. I, I like Marcus Stroman. Like he's a, yeah, he's kind of boring. Yeah, the infield defense behind him isn't good, but I don't think it's as big of a deal as people make it out to be. And I mean, we've kind of talked our, like you hear the kind of guys that I'm on. I'm on guys like McCullers and Puck and and Paxton and Stroman's not like them. Stroman doesn't seem to be like them to me. Oh no, he's not like them at all. And that's part of the reason why I like him because these other guys, they're not going to give me full seasons. I know that Marcus Stroman, I know is going to go out there and give me close to 200 innings or whatever the equivalent is this year of, of, you know, good production, not elite production, but good production. You know, he was good with the Blue Jays pitching in the American League East and all those hitters parks against the Yankees, against the Red Sox in the Rogers Center at home. Now he's in the the NL East. You know, he's playing in in, uh, City Field, which is now the best pitchers park in baseball, Um, you know, in a division with a bunch of pitchers parks, with interleague play with the American League West with a bunch of pitchers parks. You know, the Mets offense you know, theoretically should be pretty good this year, should give him some good offensive support. He's not going to give you elite strikeouts, but I think he's going to give you a good ERA, a good whip. He's going to get you some wins and he's going to get you innings. And I think where he's going, you know, he's uh, he's kind of boring and I think he's going too low because of I'm it. so glad that we had a big one that we disagreed about because everyone at home was like, oh man, here we go. They're going to agree again. Why don't you give us your number five? Mostly because I'm just super curious who it is that you like a lot. Um, it was Eduardo Rodriguez. Not because I think there's anything in particular that sticks out about him that I really like. Like, he wasn't a guy... Like, coming into the year, I'm like, I know I'm going to like McCullard. I know I'm going to like Puck. I didn't think I was going to like Erod, but just based on where he's being drafted, I kind of do because I think he's going a little lower than he should. You know, just based on... Like, he's good. He's a pretty good pitcher. Um, He still has some upside to get better. And uh, especially if we don't play games in normal home parks, it just would make me like him even more because he's not going to have to pitch in Fenway. You know, I hate wins because it's not especially predictable. But when you get somebody who pitches deep into games and somebody who has just huge blow-up games, like total gas can games like Eduardo Rodriguez, then that tends to be somebody 
who's going to get a lot of wins because all the other games he's pitching deeper, he's solid, he's durable uh, deep into these games. He had 19 wins last year. I think he can be someone who repeats 15-plus wins. And while I don't want to predict wins, I think you can for somebody like Rodriguez. Yeah, I mean, I the bet has him projected around, I think, 14 or 15 over, you know, 200 innings. I think that's perfectly, perfectly reasonable for him. You know, he's going to be good. He's going to get, you know, not as good offensive support without Mookie Betts, but still good offensive support. Uh, I like him. All right. You want to do uh, one last relief pitcher to end this thing? Yeah, I mean, I hate relievers in general, like especially. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm mostly a DFS guy. Like I'm glad that I don't have to think about them except when I'm drafting my season long teams. I think Keone Kella is a guy that that is interesting. He's kind of one of the last, you know, guys off the board that that we kind of know is the closer. No competition for saves. And again, you name my number one closer that I have to get in every league, Keone Kella. Yeah, like he's he's actually fairly talented. He hasn't officially been given the job, I don't think, but he should get the job. He should get some saves. You don't have to pay a lot for them. That That's the kind of guy that I like. He was one of the best relief pitchers in baseball over the second half last year as well. I think he's a great call. My number one, who do I even want to go with? Um... Edwin Diaz, Craig Kimbrell, they were both awful last year, and everyone's still drafting him in the top 120 picks. I'm actually going to go, though, with Josh Hader. And it has nothing to do with Josh Hader's talent. He's by far the best closer in baseball. Well, Kirby Yates and him, number one and number two. But what it comes down to is, do I want to draft a closer in the top 60 picks? No, not even close. Get out of here. I wouldn't draft Josh Hader in the top 100 picks. So for me, he's the most overvalued. Are you with me? Are you drafting any closer in the top 100 picks? Probably not. I I actually, I mean, I wound up with uh, with Edwin Diaz in labor, um, which is NL only. It's an auction. It's a little bit different dynamic. I wouldn't mind drafting Edwin Diaz around his ADP, hopefully a little bit after. Like, yeah, he was really bad last year. Are you're a Mets fan too, aren't you? I am. So you probably pay a little closer attention to like what's going on there. A little closer attention, but like all his peripherals were basically the same. Like he struck out 15 batters per nine. It like, was just the home run, home run to fly ball rate. That was the only difference. Yeah, a guy, a guy doing that should not have a five and a half ERA. I honestly still think Edwin Diaz is one of the absolute best relievers in baseball, talent wise. And I think he got unlucky last year. And, and I'm maybe I'm wrong about that, but that that's the stance I would take on him. And uh, I, I own him in one league, so I'm really hoping that that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Derek, this was a lot of fun. As always, thank you for taking the time to come on. Looking forward to uh, using the bat when I'm building my DFS lineups this year, baby. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully, hopefully we get it back sooner rather than later. <laughs> All right, everyone, give Derek a follow on Twitter at Derek Cardi. I'm at Bobby Fantasy Pro. Don't forget to sign up for our signed Fernando Tatis Jr. bat giveaway. Check out the details at fantasypros.com slash MLB contest. And also check out our draft assistant at fantasypros.com slash draft wizard. You are going to love it. For Derek Cardi, I'm Bobby Sylvester. Thanks for listening and enjoy your baseball.